Father, we thank You this morning for the opportunity to, to be together, for the opportunity to together open up Your Word uh, and to look to You and to know, Lord, that You have revealed Yourself to us. You have chosen to do that. Uh, to, to us, to a people who so much we are, we are blind uh, to who You are by, by nature because of our sin nature. Uh, we are unable to see we are unable to draw close to you at all uh, on our own. And yet, you have called a people to yourself. And you have given us, uh, by your word and by your spirit, an understanding of you, some amount of understanding, in fact, a significant understanding. Uh, and you have set your love upon us. Uh, I, I pray that as we go through this uh, this chapter, that we will grow in our knowledge of you, that we will... Uh, understand in a, in a far greater way how great you are, Lord, but at the same time how near you have made yourself to us. And really both of those, uh, which seem in, in some senses to be uh, opposite to one another, uh, yet we, we, we thank you for what you have given us and how you've loved us. And so help us, uh, we do pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, um, we're, we're going to be turn your open your uh, booklets uh, to chapter two, and if you just look at that first paragraph, um, you're going to see a lot of a lot of words there, a lot of attributes. And I, I think often when we uh, when we talk about who God is, um, it can be a real challenge because. If you just read through this, it's just kind of a smattering of attributes. Think about, and the kids here can think about this, how would you describe your dad or maybe your mom, something like that? If somebody were to walk up to you and say, uh, you know, who is your dad? I've heard something about him, but tell me about him. How would you describe him or you can describe your mom? Uh, anybody? How would you do it? What kind of words? I would say that he disciplines us a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, so disciplines. That's, that's a good word. Okay. So. Okay. And there, there you go. There's another word. Love. So discipline. Okay. Uh, a couple other words. Somebody else. Share. Okay, good, good. Leader. Right. A few more. A couple more. Caleb. Wise. What? Wise. Wise. There wise. you go. I was waiting for Caleb maybe to say that, but oh. well, thank you. <laughs> no, wise. Okay, that's good. That's good. Now, and, and so these are just a smattering of words. Now, I, nobody said, you know, tall, handsome, and use oh. outward characteristics. But um, but that's that's part of it too. In fact, that's often what what people would go to first, uh, perhaps. Uh, but actually, I'm, I'm really happy to hear some of the words that we heard there. Now look at the look at the paragraph that we've got there. Now some of the things that weren't said. Now I, I think Sarah, I think you said loving, but this says most loving, most gracious, most holy, most free. Now you got this word most. And then before that, you got these these uh, kind of bigger words: um, immutable, immense, 
eternal, incomprehensible. What does incomprehensible mean? (laughs) Unable to understand or comprehend. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you just have used that about me before. Well, I'm sure sometimes you are incomprehensible, but it's in a different way. It's in a different way than we would talk about God as being incomprehensible, right? So uh, there is some similarity there because when we talk about somebody, we use attributes. You know, we just use a list of words. But at the same time, when we talk talk about who God is, you know, pretty much there may be well. There's a sense in which, oh, we, we might not use any of these words, but in fact, we, we will because, uh, you know, Janelle just said wise. And so that's going to be one of the ones here. There are going to be other words that, uh, that, that we talk about God and they're here as well. And so we recognize right off that some, there are some of the characteristics of a person that are found in God, only far greater. They are in perfection in God, right? What do we call those types of words? What kind of attributes? Yeah, yeah. So like communicable uh, would be the ones that is kind of like a, I guess like a disease. If a disease is communicable, you can catch it, right? Uh, but also, uh, there are many terms here. I mean, immutable. Nobody is going to call me immutable. Or even even Jim, I don't think. Uh, now, some of us might be called immense, but in a different way, I think. Uh, <laughs> You know, but but eternal and, and truly incomprehensible. So all of these these words that are here, uh, they do and they accurately describe God. But we have a tough time with them, with understanding exactly what they mean, because many of them don't apply to us, uh, and therefore they're not in our daily vocabulary. Now some are uh, wise. Uh, even the word holy, we might use that of. Uh, of a person in a sense, uh, and we and we should if we if we're in the Bible. Um, but uh, but so the, these two different types of terms. One more thing, and we're going to read the chat the uh, that first paragraph. But one more thing, I want you to recognize and think about as we read that paragraph. I I put two words up here. One is transcendent, and so that's how we often that that's how we must think about God often. But the other is imminent. Now, there's another word spelled like this. It's imminent. It means it's going to happen right away, right? Uh, this one means uh, close to or near. Kind of like, uh, you know, if, if we're near to another person, there's this imminence there. Uh, we're together. Uh, and so on this side, God is unapproachable in a sense. Scripture says that he's unapproachable. Uh, he is incomprehensible or unknowable in a sense. Uh, and then over here, we also read that God is with us in a sense, and we'll talk about that. And we, we read about being a friend of God, that we're able to be a friend of God, or he's a, a friend of us. Now, uh, think about that as we read. These are two totally opposite ends of the scale. And so I, I want you to think as we read those characters, well, given that, who is God really? Or what is God? Uh, and in the catechism, the question, it's going to say, what is God? Uh, uh, and then uh, we've got all the attributes that, that follow. But think about these two, because this is, this is the tension that we have. Uh, is God transcendent? 
primarily? Or is he, just in his nature, is he, to us, imminent? Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that because there are all kinds of problems if you see primarily God as being in a way that he is not. Now, and Scripture is going to say, well, he is that way, but if we see him in his essence as being something that he's not, then, uh, then we run into a problem. So if you look at paragraph 1, um, this is kind of long. Unless somebody wants to read it, I'll read it. Okay, uh, paragraph one. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, Almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and with all, or, or in all of this, most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Let me just make a statement there, uh, and this, this goes to one of, the, one of the words that's there, but we need all of this. Uh, if, if somebody were to tell you, well, let me tell you about God, and all they were to say about God was, uh, well, he is most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Are we going to have an accurate picture of God? No. No. But that is an accurate picture of God, isn't it? But we need all of God. Uh, And so, therefore, this is kind of in the middle of this, but I'm going to describe one characteristic of God, but I I think it helps us to hold it all together. We're going to talk about these as if they are kind of separate in a way, because, you know, I can I can look at Jim and I can say, well, Jim, Jim is wise and uh, he really is intelligent. He's able to state things in such a way that people understand, you know, and and say things. And I'm kind of breaking. I'm I'm saying some things about Jim, but I'm saying other things are not true of Jim, but you can you can separate them out, right? With God, we can't do that. Uh, all of these attributes here are all together. So even though we're going to talk about them separately, we've got to think of, of God as all of these together. Uh, and, and it's hard for us to conceive of Him in that way. You'll note uh, one of the things that it says, it says, without body. So God in His essence is without a body. Uh, in fact, anybody here, any of the children know the children's catechism question number nine. Now, this is children's catechism. It's not the shorter catechism. Any, anybody here know the children's catechism? And it's great. Sarah knows the shorter. Hey, hang on one second. Let me see it. Does anybody know the, the children's? Yes. Yep. Yeah, and so out of all the attributes for the, the children's catechism, that's what they chose. He, 
God is a spirit and has not a body like men. And, and it's very straightforward. And, and therefore we can think, okay, well, there's a difference, significant difference there between God and us. Now, Sarah earlier told me the shorter catechism question instead, which is wonderful. Uh, so, what? I'm sorry. That, yeah, Sam, go go for it. What what what's the joke? So, what is God? Infinite, eternal, unchanging. Fantastic. You hear that? So, what with the uh, shorter catechism, we get we get more, but it does start off. Uh, what is God? God is a spirit. Has not a body like man, right? God is a spirit. But then, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Just like Sam said and a bunch of others. It's like a chorus. Uh, uh, but as we hear those, again, you know, we can easily separate those out. We're going to talk about some of those words as we go through. But if you look look at the second line in, in the paragraph, it says, without body, and there's a comma there. It's not saying without body parts, okay? It's without body, parts, or passions. Uh, and that where it says without parts, that's what I was talking about before, that we can't separate God into parts. That he is, and the word that's used by theologians uh, is he is simple. <laughs> now, God's not simple. God's complex. You know, far beyond what we could ever imagine. But this word means that he's not able to be broken down into parts. And I just want us to have that in mind as we think about who God is. We're going to use these separate words, but they all must go together. Otherwise, he is not God. Does that make sense? Well, some of us are going to say not, not completely because I don't understand it all, but we're going to say that as we go all the way through. But, but uh, now that's... It's uh, part of the incomprehensibility, you know, how God can really be one. Uh, you know, to say that he is... Right. Um, you know, we can't get our head around that, but if we could, then God would be comprehensible. But we can apprehend it. You know, we, God can reveal Himself to us as creatures in a way that we can live in relationship. And that's kind of the key as we go all the way through this, and it goes back to this picture. Garth's exactly right. That the key is that God has revealed Himself to us, and therefore, what I'm going to kind of argue here and uh, and and the divine the 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 ones that wrote this pastors and theologians they began at the same point and that was over here that the god is immense the god is in his essence he's so far beyond us that that we you know we can't just walk up to him and just you know know god in that sense he has to come to us jim I'm reminded of a question that was asked of R.C. Sproul. And he was asked, what is the biggest problem in our nation today? And his answer is, the biggest problem in our nation today is that people do not know who God is. That's right. I I think that's true, and I think that's the the problem not only in this country, but throughout throughout the world. Now, we read this. Uh, and even if we understand what the divines are saying here, mm-hmm. uh, we just see a glitch in our limited minds 
of who God really is. God is so, so immense, so huge, so big, yes. that there's no way that we can even begin to comprehend who he really is. Even if the divines had, had written a whole page in our huge book, yeah. we would only be scratching the surface That's right. as to who he is. And I'm reminded of one of the early church fathers, Anselm of Canterbury, said, God is that being apart from which no greater being can be conceived. Thanks for saying that. By the way, I've got a couple of books up here, and these are <laughs> these are wonderful books. And uh, Jim just gave an advertisement for one of them, and it's by Michael Barrett. This is actually a fantastic book. It's called None Greater. Well, are you, what? Are you really? That's fantastic. This is this is an outstanding book. Maybe maybe uh, hopefully Edie agrees. Maybe she doesn't. But but, but Anselm. That's right. <laughs> He was the one that said this, but Michael, Michael Barrett, of course, uses that, but none greater. And it says, the undomesticated attributes of God. And, and that, exactly what Jim just said, I, as we begin talking about this and talking about God, I, I don't think we can emphasize enough, this is who God is in His essence. That apart from Him showing Himself to us, we can't know Him. And, and one of the reasons I really want to emphasize this is because today... Uh, within the church, uh, there and, and this is not new. There have been different movements over time, but but there is a movement to start here and to say this is who God is in His essence. That uh, in His essence, that that we can we can know. All, in fact, He's not the unknowable God. He's not unapproachable in any sense, even though the Bible says that He is. Uh, but that that that. You know, we can just we can know God in our everyday lives and uh, and really pretty easily. So anybody, we just talk to somebody on the street and say, "Well, you, you need to know this God, and, and let me just tell you about him." And uh, without going further, we know there's a, a tremendous step there that's needed that anybody can know God. What's what would be the what would be the drive behind this making this the, the essence of God? Like God. Okay, to like God and to do what? To come in. Yeah, so that so that He is very much like us. I mean, that's the main thing that this would say. He's very much like us. He's He's here. He's at our level. Therefore, uh, when it comes to obeying Him and obeying His commandments, uh, that's that's off out there uh, because he, He's my friend. And so I can just, I can just, at all times, just know God. Uh, but what we see in the Bible is different from that. Now, kind of jumping around here a little bit, and it's hard not to. But um, turn in your, turn in your Bibles to. Well, actually, let me let me pick on a couple of people here. Can somebody look up Isaiah forty six nine? Isaiah forty six nine. Who could do that? Thank you. Nathan has got that one. Uh, somebody else, Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 18. Edie, can you get that? Um, and then someone else, uh, well, actually you're right there. So Isaiah 40, 11 we'll read just after that. But let's start off with, with those two. So Isaiah 
46 9, Nathan. You can read uh, the next verse as well, I guess. In the end, in the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, a couple of statements that were made there. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Uh, and as, uh, as Nathan read... Declaring the end from the beginning. Who out here is able to declare the end from the beginning? You know what that means. Like, uh, we're, we're in time. And so, the end of all time from the beginning. That's, that can only be done by, by one who is above that. Right? Yeah. Sure. And just back to what you were saying, uh, how strange it is. I think this is at the heart of it. If, if we're going to say, oh, I can't submit to what's clearly part of Scripture because I can't get my head around all of this. That is not that is showing that we're not recognizing um, that God says I am God and there is no other. Right. So there's a responsibility there, especially when we see that we, of course, are made by God. Now, Edie, if you can read, uh, so this is chapter uh, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 12. No, what did I say? Uh, 12 through 18. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? And what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. Nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? Okay, there were a lot of questions there, what Edie read. Uh, what's the answer to all of them? Yeah, no one, uh, because yeah, I heard the word God. He is the only, the only one that this is speaking of. The only one who can do any of these things. Whom did he consult? No one. Uh, you know, uh, who taught him the path of justice? No one. It's in him and in him uh, alone. And then notice right there in the middle, the, the words that she read about the nations. Now, that's actually talking about us, right? We're, we're part of the nations. We're, we're the peoples. Uh, uh, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. <laughs> so there's this very real sense in which he is so great, he is so immense, that you are nothing. And, and if we read properly, how was man made? In the image of God. In the image of God, yes. And we're going to talk about that. But also he was made out of what? Dust. Out of dust. 
And so out of dust and yet made in the image of God. Uh, and, and so uh, what Janelle just said. Uh, so what this is emphasizing is the immensity and the greatness of God. Uh, go back, uh, if you would, Edie, and read that verse right before verse 12. I, I want you to see the contrast here. This, so uh, chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like the shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Is that talking about real sheep here? Talking about us. Thank you, Sarah. That's exactly right. And so here we've got God, uh, transcendent God, uh, immense. We're like a, a you know dust on the scales, uh, unapproachable, unknowable. Yet He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. Uh, he cares. Yeah, Ellie. Yeah, Where God says, I will question you. <laughs> and actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Right at the end of the book of Job. You know, Job, has, he's lost everything. He's struggled. And, and, and he can't understand why he's in the condition that he is in. He doesn't see his own sin. And so he, he gets angry with God. And he says a lot of things. But at the same time, we, we've got to understand what position Job is in if we've gone, undergone great suffering, then we don't know the half of it with what Job suffered. But all of that, but right at the end, after Job's had all this discourse and his friends, so-called friends, have had all their uh, conversation, uh, as, as Ellie said, then God speaks just like we saw but uh, in, in uh, what Ellie read, I'm, I'm sorry, what Edie read, but... It's, it's much longer. I was going to have us go there. But it's mo- much longer. And uh, like Ellie said, you know, he, he says, where were you, Job? And then he just goes through. And basically, Job has one, one statement to make. Anybody know what statement he makes? What does Job say? I cover my mouth. Uh, yeah, I, I shut my mouth. I cover my mouth. I, I can't speak in the presence of God. And so what he's, he's coming to a right understanding of who God is and who we are. And that's that's really the goal here, right? As we look at God, it is to come to a right understanding in a right way of who God really is and who we are and what God has done, right? In revealing Himself to us, in coming down and being living amongst us and in the Lord Jesus Christ dying for us. Uh, you know, it, it, it's... There's a sense in which it's got to be beyond anything that we could ever think or imagine. Yes, but at the same time, it's reality for those who belong to Him. So, yeah. That statement that after God questions Job, and Job says, then, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Yes. I have spoken once, and I will not answer and some people say, what is the point of the book of Job? And, and, and I'll point right there. That's the point of the book of Job. Job was, he was a blameless man in a very real sense. He loved the Lord. And we see that all the way through, really. Uh, but at the end, he, he changed. <laughs> Job changed. Uh, uh, and because he came to see God, who he really is. And therefore, he came to see himself as he really is. And, and again, I'll go back to that. That's 
That's really the goal for all of us. Because we can't see ourselves ourselves in the right way until we see God in the right way. You know, there's uh, I know there's some here who already that you know I'm, I'm going to this, but I can find where I wrote it. Um, there there is a statement that uh, that Calvin John Calvin makes at the beginning of his uh, Institutes, um, and I've got one quote of Calvin there. Anybody have it already? <laughs> but, uh, and, and he says exactly that. He, he says um, that... Uh, uh, he says that we, we, can't, we can't know ourselves, really at all. And so you got people all over the planet who are walking around they don't know God, and, and we might not think, well, maybe that's not such a great problem. Although, as Jim said, that, that's what uh, R.C. Sproul said is the problem, that people don't know God. But what he was saying is, therefore, they don't know themselves. Mm-hmm. And so apart from knowing God, we can't know ourselves. Why? Because our eyes are covered over with our own sin. And so we continue forward thinking, I'm, I'm it. Uh, and the others around me, they're, they're it. Uh, and, and missing the whole picture of who we really are, that we are a drop in the bucket, that we are insignificant, but that God has made us in His image and that He has come down uh, and, and, and condescended to us. Yes, it's interesting because the beginning of the, of the instance is really parallel uh, in the book of Job and if you were to look at chronologically the books of the Bible, uh, most theologians uh, uh, would agree with the fact that the first book ever written in Scripture is actually the book of Job. It is not Genesis, right. but it is Job. Uh, so at the very beginning of Scripture, the first thing that we are faced with is to God. That's right. As who he is, how big he is. Yeah. So, so the, the canon doesn't show Job as the first book, but it is in the eyes of most theologians the first book. So we have to have an understanding of who God is before That's right. anything else can make sense. And even as we get to Genesis, what are the first words of Genesis? In the beginning, God. Right? And so all of a sudden in Genesis, also we're faced with yeah, before anything was created, there is God, and so it's a it's a big thing. So so this is kind of to, to give us the the right picture. Now we we don't want to miss this part. So Isaiah chapter forty verse eleven that Edie read, uh, and we're going to get here. Believe me, we're going to talk all about uh, the imminent God, the God who is with us. But we've got to start with with who God is. Truly. Uh, and along those lines, uh, some of the first words there uh, in this uh, in this paragraph are these. There is but one only living and true God. There is but one only. Uh, if you look at the picture on the right hand side, I think most here probably seen this as a bumper sticker or, uh, you know, something like that. Uh, and, and I, I said, what's wrong 
with this message. And the word is actually, the X doesn't look like an X, but it's coexists. That's what's being, being written. What's wrong? Now that, that is, that's our culture, right? That's the, the culture in which we live, that statement. Uh, what's wrong with that statement? And, and what's meant behind it? Okay, in a very real sense. And so that's ultimately, I, I think that's that's where this is is coming from. It's coming from a a heart, a people that don't want to deal with sin. Sin comes from a, a lawmaker, a lawgiver, uh, who is the lawgiver. The lawgiver is God. We're made in the image of God, and so we could go on and on. And so it's to get rid of God. Yeah. Amy. Yes. At least seven. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And the, the idea is, uh, your truth is for you. My truth is for me. Uh, what does the Bible have to say? What What must we say about that? What do we have to say about that? There is one God and there is no other. That's right. There is one God and there is no other. Uh, and, and that is the truth. And what that means is that the person who has that bumper sticker on their car or, or the other one who, who doesn't want, uh, they, they want everybody to just get along and everybody to have their own religion. It's a personal thing. Right there, God has made a statement about that. And he said very directly to the face, you're wrong. There is only one God. Yeah, this is for every person. Is so offensive to them. That's absolutely right. Uh, and a lot of people do believe in <laughs> and so therefore, I, I'd ask each one of us, is that message offensive to your heart? Because the truth is that we live in this world, right? We live in this world. We're affected by the world around us. And we know, in fact, we know that as soon as we make that statement that, no, that's wrong, there is one God and He made you and He is over you and you, are, uh, you, you owe Him everything. As soon as we make that statement... We're going to get a little bit of pushback, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the tendency is for us, therefore, to uh, say, well, you know what? We can kind of withdraw over here and and well, we don't have to make that statement. Well, the truth is we do because God's Word does make that statement. We have to make it in the world. Now, I do want to couch that by saying we don't have to make that statement and we, we must not in a way that's oriented to, to anger, in a way that's oriented to, to uh, drive people away, but we just we, we make it in the context, of course, of the gospel. Uh, you know, th- there, is, there is one God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And that, that is the truth. And so we, we hold that up. But then we say, you, know, you, you need this. Uh, he, is, he is the Savior. Uh, he's, he's your only hope and he's my only hope. Uh, and so I'm just holding the bread out to you. I know where the bread is to be found. Um, and, and, and yet at the same time, we can't hold back.
from that truth in this world in which we live. Does that make sense, everybody, or any other thoughts about that? Uh, this this right here, this chapter, and of course it's going to be in the chapter where we really talk about who God is. Uh, it's going to be offensive to the world in which we live. Uh, the question is, is it offensive to us? Yeah, well. One thing I'm just going to point out too is that, you know, even, like we might look at that and say, well, you know, some of these religions have a very distinct view of God. Some are, um, you know, some believe there are many gods. That's a wonderful point, and especially because, as you said, we can be we can be taken in, we can be drawn toward that. Yeah, you know, Judaism. Uh, so, so Jews they they may not believe that the Messiah has come yet, but they they hold the same God. What does the Bible say? <laughs> there is only one way of salvation. It is through the true Messiah, and you must know the true Messiah, and it is Christ, and, and therefore. You can have all kinds of a foundation with the right words, and, and liberal Christianity is the same way. You can have the, the right words there, but unless you profess them as true belief, that's what you know. John three sixteen uh, says that, that you must believe, and, and what it's talking about, you must trust, you must follow, and so uh, it, it does. It, it's it holds it holds us to this standard to truly follow. His word, and in certain matters, matters of salvation, to hold to those. He is the only way. There is no other way. And when you uh, stop, you go downhill. That's exactly right. Yes. What, because what are we doing? We're either going toward God truly in the way, that, in, in who He really is, or if we're not, if we're professing something else, we're actually going, just like you said, you're going downhill, you're going away from God. And so at all times, it's either to God or away from God. And so, therefore, uh, yeah, great point. Let's go through a couple of couple of others of these. Um, uh, so, you know, we get uh, right there at the beginning. Um, there is but one only living and true God. Uh, and and then we get to some of these bigger words here. Um, you know, infinite in in being. Um, and here. Here's what some who, well, would hold to this. Actually, well, here's what some would, would hold to. They would say, uh, and it's, it's a true statement, that the, the finite 
cannot conceive of the infinite. Uh, so this would be people who really fall over on this side, but but say all we can do is worship God. We, you know, there's no point in studying the Bible. There's no point. Uh, all we can do is worship the unknowable God because the finite, the finite can't conceive of the infinite. And there is truth in that. Here's what uh, one theologian, Thomas Aquinas, said about this. He said the infinite cannot be contained in the in the finite. God exists infinitely. And nothing finite can grasp him infinitely. It's impossible for a created mind to understand God infinitely. It is impossible, therefore, to comprehend him. And what he was saying was that we can't know everything about God. And I hope everybody here agrees with that and says, you know, I, again, I am a drop in the bucket, so I can't understand everything about God. But here's what John Calvin said uh, in addition to that. Of what we can know. He said, he said this, and he was really talking about how we are able to know God in, uh, by His Word. He said, For who even of slight intelligence does not understand that as, as nurses commonly do with infants, God is accustomed in measure to lisp in speaking to us. Thus such, think of the picture, that God lists to us. Thus such forms of speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as they accommodate the knowledge of Him to our slight capacity. To do this, He must, God must descend far beneath His loftiness. And that's really well said because what He's saying is God uh, tells us about Himself in his word is that he speaks our language just like with an infant you know a nurse whether the infant speaking you know i'm not going to do it but baby talk to the infant um so god does the same with us uh and and we see that very clearly in some places in the bible uh what's the word that we use for uh the way that god describes himself kind of directly to us but 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 he, he, he's far greater than we are, and so he has to do this. What's that word called? Anthropomorphism. Thank you. Anthropomorphism. Right? Yeah, these big words that are there. What anthropomorphism means is exactly what, what John Calvin was saying there, that, that God uses baby talk. Uh, and therefore, when we hear about uh, him bearing his strong arm, uh, God's not actually... Showing us his big muscle, right? No, it's, it's talking about his great power, which is beyond what we can uh, you know, think or imagine. And what are some other uh, examples of anthropomorphism that we see in the Bible? What about parables? That, does that have anything to do with parables? Well, that's good. Yeah, parables. So, so this was Jesus speaking. And Jesus spoke in a way that, and, and often, I mean, that's what he was talking about. Often was God and, and people knowing knowing God. But he spoke in such a way that some people couldn't understand. But other people who knew God, who knew knew the God that we're talking about here, could understand. And so it's, that's, that's you know, similar in that uh, sense. Any other anthropomorphism you can think of? We see lots of, I mean, we see, can't see the face of God. Okay, yep. God, when Moses, he puts Moses in the, up the rocks and goes, you'll see my back. 
Yes. It does have a body, so you know, there's, no, there's no actual face or back or right. arms or legs or any of those things, but she describes it because you couldn't otherwise understand it. That's, that's right. Uh, and, and another one is uh, when we read that God repented. Think about that. God repented. Uh, did he repent in the way that you must repent and that I must repent? <laughs> no. God can't sin. How could he repent? But no. And, and it wasn't even that he changed his mind, but it was to to bring that which we can't fully understand down to where we can see it. We can understand that someone was going in this direction and he goes back in this direction, which is exactly what God does. But it's all part of his plan as he responds. Uh, and, and, and so we see that in Scripture, but he's talking baby talk to us so that we can understand. Uh, so through and through, these are the, uh, uh, the, the anthropomorphisms of Scripture, God talking in ways that we can understand Him. Um, just uh, touch on a couple more of these. Um, so I, I already talked about he, he is a most pure spirit, invisible, has not a body like man, right? Without body, parts, that's the simplicity that uh, we talked about earlier, or passions. Now this is a, a controversial um, does God have passions? Uh, this says that He is without passions. Yeah, Jeff. Is He passionate about sin? <laughs> Let me ask passionate? everybody that question. Is, he, is God passionate about sin? Yeah. What, when it comes, how we talk, I mean, he, hang on. Just, just answer the question. Just in, no, in, I, I was going to because I mean, God, God actually uh, compares Himself, doesn't He? I can't remember where to. Uh, to a drunken man in a rage or something. Uh, right. Talking about sin. I mean, God's God is angry with the sinner. That's my question. Right. So when it's my sin, uh, at least, uh, you know, God is passionate about sin and what He may bring into my my life. But the answer is yes. Uh, and that's why with this word, it's really important to understand what it's saying. That's what I thought you were going to say first, Garth, and, and explain uh, there. But I, I, I want us to see that God is. I mean, we read about the God in Scripture who is alive and active uh, and who loves His people. You know, desiring, we've got to hear this in the right way, remember He, he lists, uh, but desiring that, that no one would uh, go to hell. Uh, you know, and we, so we read things like this in Scripture. He's passionate about His people. And yet, when we talk about... Um, one of us having passions often, uh, being uh, in, impassioned, you might say. What are we often talking about? It's like this, right? Emotions are being controlled by what somebody else is doing. Yeah, so we're reacting. And so, you know, I, I went to the grocery store and, and somebody, they were behind me and they jumped in front of me and I got impassioned. I got angry with them. And, but then a couple of minutes later, they told me what they had really done. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm better. You know, so God does not, he, he doesn't go up and down. Remember, he doesn't change uh, in that way. And he's not fickle. He's not driven by emotions as we are. He doesn't respond in that way uh, so that he's subject to emotional change. Does God answer prayer? He does. 
Does He respond, therefore, to us? He does. He responds to us. Is that part of, as we pray to Him, is that part of who He is and part of His overall plan? Yes. And so, and, and I will say, there are things there that we can't fully grasp because uh, when, when we're in a state like we see the psalmist often, uh, where the psalmist is crying out, uh, he's in a circumstance uh, where he doesn't understand things, he doesn't understand God, uh, and he says, why, God? And he's crying out and says, help me, you are my shelter, <laughs> you are my refuge, uh, you help me in the midst of this, and, and, and we see him resting then in the Lord, and the Lord providing, uh, the Lord responding. That's how we need to be. We need to pray to, to, to the God who answers prayer. But at the same time, understand that this is who God is, that he is, he is the immutable God. In fact, one of the statements here says that uh, he's, he's working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable, unchangeable, and most righteous will. That's what Scripture affirms, you know, immutable and most righteous. Uh, so we're not going to understand all of it, but all of who God is. That brings me to another book. I should have mentioned this earlier, but uh, uh, we're not going to understand all that is in God. Well, that's the name of this book. All that is in God. This is an outstanding book. Uh, kind of its starting point is what I talked about earlier, the simplicity of God, uh, that God is one all around. But all that is in God, it's by uh, Dolitzel. I think that's how Dolzel. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, a couple of books that are in the library, but outstanding uh, to to read. Okay, we got two minutes left. Any part of this? Let me ask. Just kind of throw it out there. Is there any part of this as we as you look through that paragraph? Any part of it that you've either got a question about? Or that you really struggle with, how can this describe God? Or that you'd like to see in two minutes a little deeper? Anybody? Well, what jumps out of me is the very last. Thank you. Words here go by no means clearly helpful. Yes. And later on, the confession would say we talk about the odiousness of sin. So God hates sin. Yes. And it, and it must be paid for. It, it, it has to be. Absolutely. He can't overlook sin. Yes. If there's any other way that we could be reconciled to him without him having said this to have sent his son, he would have done so. The fact that he actually sent his son uh, really points out how serious God takes sin. And so this says, who will by no means clear the guilty. What do those words, clear the guilty, there mean? They want to take a shot at that. because I, and, and just knowing... Uh, who God is, who the Lord Jesus is, what He's done, what we're able to receive from the Lord Jesus. Uh, so, what is meant by clear the guilty? 
You still hold you accountable for it. Like okay. He could forgive you. He's merciful, but don't keep on doing the same thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's, it's along those lines. Amy? Is it for all have sinned? And fall short of the glory of God? Um, yeah. So so the, the, I, I just want to get kind of to the, um, I guess, the, the in a legal sense or the exact meaning of that term so we don't misunderstand. And that's exactly right. He can't overlook sin. Now, what... Uh, so if a uh, you know if you're in a court of law and you go up before the judge and y- you've done something wrong, let's say you know you've stolen something, killed somebody, um, but, but whatever it might be, what if the judge says, you know what? As I was eating my cereal this morning, uh, I was really thinking about this world in which we live and. And how there's there's not so much uh, you know a care for those in this world that have gone through difficult things, and I know you've gone through difficult things. So I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, don't worry about it. You know you've done this crime, but don't worry about it. I, I, I really like you. Can a judge rightly do that? No. No, that's overlooking sin. That would be unjust, and that's overlooking sin. Can God overlook sin? It says, who will by no means clear the guilty, therefore he will not overlook sin. So so what happens? I'm guilty. I'm standing before God. Uh, what happens if he doesn't clear my sin? I thought I was forgiven of sin. What happens? I could. If, if I stand in my sin, if I stand in my sin, that's exactly right. I, w- I must go to hell because he will by no means clear the guilty. But what? But that sin needs to be punished either in you or in Jesus. And that's the key. And, and we should never forget that, that that all sin must be punished. It's either I who take that sin, that punishment upon myself for my sin, or it's another. And there's only one other who is is great enough and who's in the place who can do that. Who's that? It, it is the Lord Jesus. And so... You know what? It's awe-inspiring to think that the the God that we've been talking about, who's so incomprehensible, yes, over here, would um, come to Earth in the form of us and live a life that we live exactly as we live without sin. But He experienced everything that we ever experienced. Mm-hmm. And so when you put in that in terms of the greatness of God yeah. and the lowness of us, right. it makes it um, even more awe-inspiring to think that he took my place in, in, and bore my sin. That it, you have to understand the greatness of God to be able to really get even a small sense of what he actually did. That's absolutely right. And and realize that we haven't even gotten in the confession to talking about man in his sinfulness. Uh, we talked about man insignificant, the drop in the in the bucket, but it goes far beyond that because having been made in the image of God, uh, we have rebelled against the holy God. And and we'll get there, but that you're exactly right, and therefore Knowing God in His fullness gives us a full picture. I mean, the beginning of a picture of of who, what we've really received 
Uh, and let me just read, immediately think about this. Um, this is out of Philippians 2, of course. Uh, yeah, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And here's the reason. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, all, everything we've been talking about here, uh, almighty, you know, unapproachable, did not count equality with God a thing to be hung on to, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, uh, in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, that's, you know, that is the transcendent God. And the eminent God. Bring it all together. And that's what that last statement is about. Uh, and, and, and that's definitely a glory. You know, is knowing uh, the God who is, who is above all, but who is, uh, who is condescended to us and loved us as a result. So, well, it's, I'm sorry, it's late. Let me, let me say a word of prayer for you. Father, we, we thank you for that right there. And what a wonderful thing that you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, and, and therefore, we can know about ourselves uh, to a far greater degree. But through all of it, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, uh, who has bridged that gap for us. The, the gap that we couldn't bridge, we can't bridge uh, on, our, on our own. We can't do anything uh, to, to work our way toward you, yet you have done it all in Christ. Help us to see that, to know that. As we learn about about God, about who you are. And as we look next week at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, three persons, one God, all, all of these things, much of which is difficult for us to see and to understand, but help us at the heart of it to see the Lord Jesus uh, and to know our need and to see and know how he has met that need. We thank you. Prepare our hearts for worship, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.